Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. We serve an awesome God, and that's who we're going to talk to right now because he's here with us today. And let's pray. God, you are awesome. You made a way for us. You do awesome miracles all around us. You're an amazing promise keeper, and you're a light when it's incredibly dark. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, that we would open up our lives to your inspection. We want to be more like you, Jesus, each and every day. We love you, Lord. We're here together as believers in you, and we're telling you how much we love you. You're awesome. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled Unstoppable about the book of Acts. And today I want to talk about lifting up the amazing name of Jesus Christ, that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus. And that was the power of the early church was the name of Jesus, the person behind that name. And Peter does a phenomenal miracle. He heals a lame man, but he gives credit to where credit is due. He gives it to Jesus. The bottom line of our talk today is this. The early church is growing exponentially as it stays true to the gospel of Jesus Christ and looks to him to empower everything it does. Our Riverview Church today, we have that same desire. We can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. No ministry is effective if it's not centered on the message of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, over the years, pastors of churches that deny the deity of Christ, I'm like, why? What, what, what evidence do you have that he wasn't God? Why do you deny the resurrection? What caused you to do that? And the moment a church does that, a church loses its power. It loses its effectiveness because you've taken it off the foundation upon which the church is built. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We're going to read this amazing passage. And just to remind you, page 911 in your chair Bibles. We love having our Bibles open here at Riverview Church. Just to remind you, we are in this section of the book of Acts. There are three major sections. The action is taking place in Jerusalem. We're in chapter 3. This is going to last for a few more chapters before we're out of that section. Peter is the leader of the early church, and he's addressing mostly Jews. But as you remember, on the morning that the church was born, there were 120 believers. That evening, there would be how many? 3,120. And after this event, there would be at least probably many more because they were being added to day by day. There would be 8,120. Because after this event, 5,000 more people come to faith in Christ. And it's your story. You're part of the church. You're part of this amazing ongoing thing that's growing around the world that's victorious. Let's uh, read from chapter 3. Now Peter and John, that's the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That would be about 3 p.m. our time. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to seek alms of those entering the temple. So every day, this lame man who'd been lame from birth had friends that would carry him to the temple. And this man, every day, this was his existence, he would beg for money, all right? 
Let's keep reading. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He sees Peter and John and cries out, alms, alms. Well, instead of giving him alms, Peter gave him legs. Alms, legs, alms, legs. Tough crowd, Gary. This is a tough crowd. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. All right. Seeing Peter and John about, and Peter directed his gaze at him, verse 4, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The next statement was very disappointing to this man asking for money. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. He probably felt like saying, well, then move on. Move on. I'm going to ask somebody else. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there it is, right? The most powerful name in human history. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here's a picture of what the beautiful gate at the temple looks like at the city of Jerusalem. The beautiful gate, it's closed up. That happened about 1100 AD during the Crusades to ward off the attacks of the Muslims on the city of Jerusalem. Those three beautiful arches at the beautiful gate were closed up. But this is where the lame man was. He was probably at the bottom of the stairs because it would have been more difficult to carry him up all those stairs. And there was more traffic at the bottom of the stairs. But when Peter healed him by the power of God, this man started walking and leaping and praising God. And it says here in the text that after he did that, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico that is called Solomon's. And they were astounded. In the uh, Temple Mount, this is where Solomon's portico was, right there, where the slain man crawled, uh, walked up these stairs, leaping and praising God, went into Solomon's portico. A crowd began to, to gather, realizing this is the man that had sat there for years, had never walked a step in his life, but was walking and leaping and praising God. A powerful miracle in the life of the church. And you have to remember that the church was the talk of the town. People were wondering, what is going on with this church? Thousands have come to faith in Christ. Peter and John, probably many celebrities in the city of Jerusalem. This was the buzz of the conversation in the city of Jerusalem. This church that had taken off and thousands had come to faith in Christ. People have asked me, by the way, and I thought I'd explain it to you. If ecclesia is the Greek word in the New Testament church, which means the called out ones. I love that picture of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. We're called out of the world. We're not like people who don't know Christ anymore. We're not like them. We think differently. We know that we're a product of this creative God who made us and stamped his image upon us and that you have value because you're connected to the awesome God of this universe. We think differently. We walk through our lives differently. We have purpose and meaning in our lives because of our connection to God. 
We're the called out ones. But how do we get the word church? Well, church is actually a derivative of two older words. The English word Kirk, which probably came from the German word Kirche. Kirche, good job. I, you speak German, so I, I, had, to, I had to give you uh, some pub here for doing that. But Kirche is the German word for church. It evolved into the English word Kirk, which is where we get our word church from. Where did that come from? It comes from the Greek word kuriakos, which means pertaining to the Lord. Another beautiful picture of what the church is all about. May Riverview Church be a church that does things that pertain to the Lord. We're always trying to build up his kingdom, to lift him high. I'm reminded as a pastor often of the words of Jesus. If I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Riverview, may we be a church that not only here on this campus, but everywhere we go, be a church that lifts up the name of Jesus that we glorify him, we give him the praise, and we hold our heads high as believers in Christ that do everything pertaining to the Lord. Where does the word kuriakos come from? It comes from the Greek word kurios, meaning Lord. So every time you say the word church, remember it's derived from the name the Lord, the one that we serve every day, the one that we worship every time we come together. But here's the first thing I want you to remember from this passage. It's this. God desires for us to get past the wants and confront our true needs. This lame man had been there every day for his entire life. Maybe not there every day, but had been lame his entire life. And all he wanted was someone to give him money. Peter and John didn't have money, but they addressed a greater need in this man's life. They weren't going to give him money. They were going to give him the power to walk by the power of God. That would change his life. And if you look at this incident, you need to know it's a beautiful picture of what salvation is life like, that we were damaged by this world. We are damaged people by our sin. And God comes into our lives and does an amazing miracle and allows those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sins to begin to walk again, to begin to praise God again. We're connected with the living God of this universe. And I want to tell you, this world is so caught up in meeting wants that they never address the greatest need of a person's life. And if someone asks you today, hey, what's the greatest need of every person on the planet? My hope is that there would be no hesitation. That you would say the greatest need is to be right with God. And that way was made possible by our awesome Savior, Jesus Christ. Our greatest need is not our next breath. It's not our next meal. It's to be right with God. Because if there's anything that an accident like this bus accident reminds us of, is this truth. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Your greatest need is to be right with God, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have peace with God, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your faith is on the awesome work of Jesus Christ for you. He did it for you. And he's holding out this amazing gift of forgiveness and eternal life paid for by his blood on the cross. And all you have to do is receive it. That's why I love the verse that says, but as many as received Jesus who believed in his name, to those he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received it? 
one of the greatest passages in the Bible, probably one of the most loved passages in human history, is Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. And I love how David starts off. He says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Exactly. Can you say that in your life? Can you say that in my life? That's more than I ever deserve. And if I get nothing else in this life, Jesus Christ is more than I ever need. He's blessed my life. He's changed me. He's given me eternal life. And this healing of this lame man is a beautiful picture of a life that was changed. It goes beyond even what this man was expecting. He was hoping for some money, but Peter gave him ultimately, physically, what he needed. He gave him the ability to walk. And I know as a church, we are going to interact with people who are so much wanting this thing and wanting that thing and so caught up in pursuing the things of this world. Our task, church, is to look beyond that desire that people have for the wants of this world and see their greater need. And the most loving thing we can do is to share the message of Jesus Christ. And this world wants us to be quiet. This world wants to marginalize us. This world wants to stay in our little corner and not say a word about Jesus. But I love what we're going to read later on in the story of the book of Acts when the disciples were told, don't talk anymore about Jesus. Keep it to yourself. The response is powerful and a challenge to us. The response is this. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God, our higher authority. Yes, you're rulers here in Israel, but you're telling us to do something that God has told us that we need to do. You're telling us to stop talking about Jesus, but God has told us to tell everyone about Jesus. Therefore, we have to obey God rather than men. That's our modus operandi as a church. This lame man, a few things about him that I love, his lifelong routine was about to change when he experienced the power of God. Same is true for us when you come to Christ. Your lifelong routines change. All of a sudden, the Word of God becomes a book that you love, that you want to pour into your heart and into your mind. You begin to connect with other believers. And I tell that to new believers, by the way. I say often to new believers, your greatest, one of your greatest tasks will be to surround your life with godly friends, friends that love Jesus, who can encourage you and build you up. Yes, you still reach out to your old friends that don't know Christ, but you're sharing the message of Jesus with them. It's the greatest message that will ever leave your lips is when you tell them about Jesus. This lame man's routine was about to be radically changed. He was freed from sitting at the steps of the temple all of his life. Here's the second thing. His condition changed supernaturally. It wasn't by the power of Peter or John. It was by the power of God. The same is true when we do ministry here at this church. We can do nothing of ourselves. We can change no one's heart. That is a work that's done by God. But our desire is to see person after person that walks into this place that we encounter on the path of life to come to faith in Jesus, to experience what we already know, that the greatest person that ever lived on this planet was the God-man Jesus. 
laid down for you and for me. Here's the third thing about this lame man. His excitement was unrestrained. I want to ask you, church, today, have you lost your excitement for Christ? Have you lost your enthusiasm for the change Jesus has made in your life? You know, when you step into heaven, when you step into eternity, you're going to say, man, why wasn't I more excited about this? Why wasn't I telling more people about this? This lame man was so excited. He was leaping and jumping and walking and praising God, and a whole crowd gathered. And it was as a result of his testimony, 5,000 people came to Christ. I'm sure you've heard stories like me of people who have faithfully served in the church and a Sunday school teacher who tells a young boy about Jesus and that young boy grows up to be a Billy Graham who leads thousands of people to Christ. We don't know the impact or the ripple effect of our work for God, but to do it with joy, to know that we're part of building something that will last forever, that you're part of a greater work that God has called you to, wherever you're at, to be that light for Christ, and that there is this excitement within you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And lastly, the thing about this uh, lame man, his testimony was powerful. He probably never thought that day when he was changed by the power of God that his life would impact 5,000 people for Christ. But his testimony made such a difference. And I want to encourage all of you to never minimize the story that you have of your connection with God, the impact that your story of coming to faith in Christ can have. It's awesome and to give him praise and to be thankful for what he's done in your life. This past week, my son had his last junior high basketball game at his school. And I went there. Barbara couldn't be there. She was with the ladies up at a leadership conference. And I was filming the game with my my iPhone. And I would film a series of plays and then stop to make all these shorter clips. I didn't want to film the whole game because a lot of times my son Brady wasn't in. But he actually had a very good game. As I'm filming, I'm thinking, man, he's made quite a few baskets in this game. He's doing really well. And as a gift to him, I thought he would love this. I took about 40 of the clips of the game, went through every one of them, and pulled out little snippets in iMovie of plays or baskets that he made. Put them all together, put transitions between the clips so it flowed smoothly, put some cool music in the background. And without telling Brady, I sent it to the entire family. And every one of the family members was like, oh man, that's cool, great job, oh what a great video. Didn't hear anything from Brady. And and I saw Brady later that day, and I said, hey, did you see that video that I spent, I didn't tell him this, hours putting together? He goes, yeah, yeah, it was was good, Dad. It was good. (laughs) That's it? All the time that I spent putting that together, that's all I can say is that's good? Oh, that's good. Yeah, look at this. He he, he didn't really appreciate this video that I'd spent all this time together. And I even said to my wife, man, I... I was shocked how little he appreciated the work I'd put into this video going through all these clips. And then I was reminded later how I am so much like that with my heavenly father. All these things that he has done for me, this beautiful world that he's created all around me, the blessings that he's poured out in my life and my response is so often, yeah, God, that was 
that's good. It's okay. No, not bad. May we be a church that sees God for all that he is. Be a church that appreciates God for what he has done for us and this amazing future that we have in him. See, I'm sure when Peter healed this man, he was reminded of the story of Jesus. Maybe you remember it. Jesus healed a lame man. And in Matthew 9, it says this. Jesus had walked up to a lame man. He was a paralytic and said, hey, brother, your faith has forgiven your sins. Your sins are now forgiven. And the audience that was there said, oh, man, he's blaspheming. Why? Because only God can forgive sin. Well, of course, Jesus is the God-man. He sensed what was happening. It says this, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk? And in actuality, the miracle of sins being forgiven is bigger than causing someone to walk. Then Jesus says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. I'm sure when Peter did this miracle, he was reminded of this event in the life of Christ and the words of Jesus that said, you're going to do greater miracles than I have done. As these disciples begin to do miracles all throughout Jerusalem by the power of God. Church, every time we share the gospel and someone comes to faith in Christ, it's an awesome miracle. We see God's power at work in the lives of people, not only doing internal miracles in their heart, but even people that have been healed by the power of God. But this was an awesome outpouring of God's power. And the church was being used in an amazing way. And church today, we need to be that kind of church that believes the power of God to change lives, that believes in, like we sang today, a miracle-working God. Here's the second thing I see in the text. It's this. God empowers ministry that is centered around the person of Christ. As I mentioned earlier, there are churches that no longer center their ministry around the person of Christ. They've lost that mission. There are people who no longer center their lives around Jesus Christ. He's pushed to the side. He, too, is marginalized. But I love the message of Peter. And he gets up in front of all these people that have gathered to see this lame man who was healed. And what does he do? He starts off in this way, the awesome credentials of Christ. Look at verse 12. It says this. And Peter saw all these people, and he addressed them. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our power or piety we have made him walk? does the right thing. Directs attention away from him to Jesus. Then he says this. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release Jesus. But you denied, and here's the qualities, the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. What a juxtaposition, right? You killed the author of life. Jesus' credentials are awesome. If you're having a major surgery, you want to make sure that your surgeon did not graduate with a D-minus average from Cupcake University. Amen? You don't want a, a surgeon with credentials like that. You want the best you can get. In fact, some of you have done had surgeries, and I've asked you, hey, how's your surgeon? 
Is, is your surgeon good? Oh, the best. Now check the credentials. This surgeon is amazing. You want someone whose credentials are impeccable. That's exactly what Jesus is like. I still remember my first wedding in Toronto when I was a youth pastor there at the People's Church. And they didn't know it was my first wedding. And I went through premarital counseling with this couple. I never told them that because I was afraid they were going to say, okay, Mel, we, we don't want you to do it. We don't want to be the first. But in the waiting room, on the day of the wedding, the groom all dressed in his tux, he asked me the question that I dreaded that he would ask. He said, oh, by the way, Pastor Mel, how many weddings have you done? And I said, counting this one? And he said, yes, I've done one. This is it. My first one. And he just began to sweat, color left his face, and it turned out okay, though. But you want somebody who has good credentials, who are, who's serving you. That's exactly who Jesus is when he served us on the cross, the Lamb of God, the author of life, who laid down his life for you. We talked about it last week, these awesome attributes that come out of the holiness of our God, that he's loving and truthful and omniscient, omnipotent. All these are true about our Christ. These awesome qualities of Jesus which leads us to what we know is true as a church. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. I love the pictures that Jesus paints. If you take a branch away from the vine, it dies. Can't do anything. I'm the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. What does he mean by that? Ultimately, the impact we make for eternity as a church is empowered by Jesus. That's why every ministry here, every person here, my desire would be that it's centered on the awesome person of Jesus Christ. You might remember the story of Peter, James, and John. They went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They climbed a mountain. <clears throat> and while Peter, James, and John were with Jesus, he became as bright as lightning. And all of a sudden, there were two people talking with Jesus, and they recognized these individuals somehow as Moses and Elijah, two great heroes from the Old Testament. It was an awesome event. Talk about a mountaintop experience. This was it. And this is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 9. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, kind of the understatement of the year, he says, Master, it's good that we're here. Well, that's pretty good. We've seen Moses, Elijah, and you as bright as lightning. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Hey, Jesus, you're up there with the big stars of the Jewish nation. You're with Moses and Elijah. Because it's obvious that what Peter said was not well-liked in heaven, right? The Bible says right after that, Peter did not know what he said. Why was the Bible so negative about this statement? Because here's the reality. Moses and Elijah were ordinary people like you and me that God used. But Jesus is the God in flesh. And as he was saying these things, the Bible says, a cloud came and overshadowed them, as, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Have this ongoing, the Greek tense 
communicates. This ongoing listening to Jesus. It's not about Moses and Elijah. This is all about the central person of human history, the creator of everything, who's standing here in the flesh, Peter. It's Jesus. And I believe every follower of Christ needs to have that kind of awe for the person you follow. That kind of excitement like this lame man had when he experienced the power of God. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The centrality of Jesus in our lives, in our church, is so vital. Then Peter goes on and explains the horrific sin that these leaders committed when they nailed Jesus to the cross. In spite of all the prophecies of the Old Testament, verse 17, look at his talk. He says this, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He's saying, I get it. You didn't fully understand who Jesus was. Let me tell you about him. The awesome person that he is and the validation of his ministry by the prophets. All these prophecies, he begins to talk about the prophecies throughout the Old Testament. One of my favorites, by the way, is the prophecy about the Passover lamb. Here it is in Exodus chapter 12. You probably know the story. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost, right? The blood of the lamb on the doorpost, everyone inside is saved. The first, this blood of the lamb on the doorpost was a protection from death. It was to free two million Israelites from slavery in Egypt. <clears throat> but when Jesus met with his disciples, that's why I love our communion times together. Because we're recreating what Jesus did with the disciples. He took the elements of the Passover meal and told us exactly what the greatest fulfillment of those elements were. Those elements were all about the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, his body given to us for us on the cross. That the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb was shed on the cross for us. It provided for us more than protection from death, but a provision of eternal life. And it freed us from a much greater slavery than slavery in Egypt. It freed us from the slavery of our sin. And Peter ends his talk with this need for repentance. Jump down to verse 26. says this, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness that when you see the amazing Savior that we serve, that you would say, man, I don't want my old life anymore. I don't want that anymore. It's leading me path, down a path of destruction. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live my life for him. Is that your desire today? This passage tells us of an amazing miracle that happened, but more importantly, it tells us of this God who wants to change our lives from our old life, from the ratty clothes that we had on, take them off and put on the royal robe of being a child of God, the King of Kings, and this needed response that we should have of repentance and to live a life of faith that says this, Lord, as I live my life, and I've given you this definition before, it's so important, trusting and obeying God, no matter what the circumstances, because God is in control and promises a good result. Church, we have been given this awesome responsibility here in North San Diego County. 
to bring the light of Jesus Christ to people who are lost and groping in darkness. But they have to see the reality of it in us. And the testimony that you can have of a person changed by the power of God can be awesome and make a difference for all of eternity. That's our calling, church. And may we enter in wholeheartedly. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. And as your heads are bowed today, have you in your heart told Jesus, Jesus, thank you for what you've done in my life. It's more important than a highlight reel. It's more important than even a miracle of changing someone who could not walk to someone who can. It's a miracle that's changed my eternity forever and ever. And you did it, God, because you love me. You love the world. And you came and gave down your, laid down your life for us. God, we love you today. Jesus, we worship you today. You are the center of everything that we do. That's why at the end of this service, we always say, all for you, Jesus. It's all for you. We lift you high today. And we pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. So we have elders and home group leaders up front who love to pray with you. Please greet one another and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.